and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. I am joined today with Richard Smith, who is also known as the UFO teacher. He is a professional life-changing speaker and motivational experiencer, web design consultant and visionary, author on the topic of extraterrestrial contact, the Moorish legacy, human origins, and related matters. Smith received high honors at New York State University for his dedicated work with extraterrestrial intervention and alien contact phenomena. A published author of the groundbreaking book series, The Vaulted Journals of UFO Teacher, Smith is committed to raising conscious awareness in our health and well-being as caretakers of the planet, as well as creating a better understanding of our place in the cosmos, both physically and spiritually. He believes that we must focus on the lost knowledge of where we come from before we can truly understand the ancient wisdom of where we are going on the path of our everyday lives. And I'd like to welcome Richard to the Path 11 podcast today. Hi, Richard. How you doing? Uh, hi there. Thank you for having me on the show today. Yes. Now, um, we are going to do a little bit of a teaser interview today as we speak to you because you have some uh, books that I would really like to go into more in depth, but we're a little short on our time today here. So we're going to give our listeners a little bit of a taste um, and then we're going to have you back on and we're going to go more in depth with some of your writings that you have. But one of the things that I found pretty funny uh, when I was going through your stuff was how you got the name. UFO teacher. And that will kind of take us back a little bit um, where you'll get to cover a little bit of your history and, you know, your involvement in art and all of that and how you got the name UFO teacher. Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, interesting how that came about. Um, <clears throat> not, not too many people ask about that, but um, it was, uh, I, I put it on my website. I put it in the book as well. And it, um, I had started off um, as an artist, and it was at the time that um, I had been putting on my first um, uh, art exhibition at um, the State University of New York at Old Westbury College. Uh, and it was uh, all it was all part of um, um, themes and information um, that had been. Uh, downloaded to me from an extraterrestrial source, and that became that exhibition there. Uh, it was about three years' worth of work, uh, culminating also in a giant installation piece. But what had uh, um, mysterious people who had mysteriously shown up there were um, a, uh, a group of Japanese businessmen who seemed to be where they came from, how they found out about it, I have no idea. But they seemed to be <laughs> I, I turned around, I noticed they were extremely interested in examining each and every one of the paintings. And um, someone from the uh, local media was in attendance there as well. They were talking to me, um, strangely enough, about the one piece called Hi, I'm the Media, Are You an Alien? And um, right at that point, um, one of the Japanese businessmen who had been examining one of the other paintings uh, 
um, I think it was called Laboratory, that they were looking at. Uh, they looked up at me right at that point and said, you are the UFO teacher. And the name stuck. And um, shortly after that, I decided, okay, that's going to be my official website, ufoteacher.com. And that, that's how that came about. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's great. Isn't it weird? Like, you know, those moments in time where it's so small yet can be extremely significant. Yes, I know. It's just because uh, people hear the name UFO teacher and then, you know, you can see their brain freezing up when, when they say it to themselves. It's like, what? How did you get that name? And I said, well, you know, this is what happened, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it always gets a good laugh out of it there as to how it came about. It was just, you know, me, a member of the local media and a Japanese businessman. And, you know, it sounds like a joke, like, you know, uh, um, uh, so-and-so walks into a bar, you know, something right. like that. But um, the uh, the artwork the reason that solo exhibition even existed at all was because, and, then, and just to put it into a time frame, that was December 1995. And um, uh, December 11th, to be exact, which is an important date in my life there uh, for a lot of reasons. But it, it began when I had turned um, 21, which was 1991. Okay, um, some years prior to that. And uh, when I had turned 21, I had um, re um, received my first, what I call my first awakening, which I talk about in the book too. And in that awakening, um, everything had come flooding back to me like a cluster bomb of memories. Everything I thought from childhood on had been um, really active dreams per se, uh, very visual dreams, very detail-oriented dreams, which had been put away and buried for a, a long time uh, through adolescence, teenage years, and so forth. It all came flooding back as memories, which was a huge shock. And right at that point in that first awakening, um, the being which I, really, I, I would find out had always been there with me since about four years old, as early as I can remember, had made herself known to me. I say herself because... She can't. She's always come across to me as a female entity, and this is the one I describe in all the books as uh, the crone. Even in the original one I published way back in 2005, uh, I refer to her as mother. But over time, it more so predominantly, I refer to her as the crone, and I describe her as a female praying mantis type of extraterrestrial being. Uh, one of the ancients, or the healers, as they're also known, because her race is uh, few and far between these days. But um, in that initial awakening at the age of 21, she had asked me, you know, would you use your, you know, talents and skills um, to educate the masses? Would you take the information, download it, and put it into what you're going to do? And... It was around that time that uh, I had, you know, I had gone from high school to the State University of New York, Farmingdale College for Advertising Art and Design. And that had actually finished up in 91. And then there was a gap between Farmingdale College and Old Westbury College for a year. And I started at Old Westbury College where I actually found myself and all this kicked off in 92. Um, so it was kind of like she knew where I was heading and what I was going to be doing 
and what I was going to end up focusing on because all the professors at Farmingdale College with commercial art would tell me all the original ideas from commercial art come from fine art. So I decided to go for the visual arts slash fine art program at Old Westbury based on nothing more than a one-sentence description of what their curriculum was about. And then something inside of me triggered and said, okay, that's where I got to go. You know, um, this is you know how I figured out what I was going to do for the next four years after uh, my associate's degree to get my bachelor's. So, um, you know, most people would look at you and think you're nuts. Is that's how you made your decision as to what you wanted to do? I said, well, yeah, I just kind of knew. And um, it was just one of those things that um, a lot of people are probably not lucky enough to know at that age what they're going to be doing. Uh, and be concrete about it and to the point of having a solid foundation of what direction you want to go in. And that's what began the downloading sessions in the studio at college there. Um, and I would start tra uh, tra uh, transferring it into the artwork based on different social themes. What was interesting is that the mentorship program that exists there with the these international, well-established artists who are your professors, you know, these are the kind of people where, let's face it, you know, you, in 1992, and here I am, I have to approach my mentor um, with this whole idea of the alien abduction phenomena and extraterrestrial intervention. And of course, you, you would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation, okay? Yeah. Um, because these are all established artists, you know, they don't want to hear this wackadoo stuff being put into artwork. It, it didn't compute, but what did compute was my one mentor, uh, Louis Kamnitzer. He took me under his wing and he says, okay, he says, I, I get it. I know where you're coming from because I presented it to him from the perspective of um, politics, economics, sociology, the human condition. Um, to get it away from, you know, the airy-fairy New Age stuff and the dingbat, uh, paranoid, conspiratorial stuff and really focus on the human condition as a reflection of ourselves. And he told me, he says, okay, he says, I will let you do this. He says, but he says, you better make it damn good. He says, I don't want any of this. And these are his words. He says, I don't want any of this airy-fairy crap showing up in your artwork. I said, I promise, no airy-fairy crap. It'll be serious, <laughs> okay? So that's what started that relationship there. Uh, even to the point as the artwork, we would have tutorials every semester leading up to the final exhibition where we could show our artwork again from the tutorials, but we had to do something original also for the exhibition. And so that's what I had done. I had shown my whole series of work and the new exhibition piece as well all together in the same gallery show so people could see the sequence of how it grew and how it evolved in theme and in purpose. So um, he had understood. He never believed anything I said. You know, he thought I was nuts. He told me to my face, he says, I don't believe any of this, but he says, I understand the angle you're coming from and that's important. Um, so he would even go as far as defending me in, in the eyes of the other professors in the art curriculum, because there was one particular tutorial 
um, where I started getting into hot and heavy controversial subject matter with religion. And one of the other professors got um, absolutely bent out of shape about it, to say it politely. And he came to my defense and says, he has the right to do that. Okay, you can't attack him for that. And um, so, you know, that's what I had always admired about being, and his name is Luis Kamnitzer. Um, and that, it turned into a watershed in December 11th of 1995 when I had the opening reception for the art show. That was, in a lot of ways, in, in just about every way actually, the foundational beginning of everything for, you know, the next 23 years. So, and of course that evolved into around 1999, I got a rather uh, mysterious phone call out of the blue. And I, I talk about this episode in The More the Mason and the Alien, um, where it sounded very um, staticky garbled, like someone trying to communicate from a million miles away, <laughs> hint, hint. But, uh, <laughs> and, um, Basically, uh, the message was it had it sent you know goosebumps up and down my spine because it was very eerie, like something out of a horror movie. But basically, the message was, why don't you you know use the artwork as an inspiration for writing? That's your next step. And then click, hang up. And of course, in those days, you still had you know there was no cell phones, so the landlines had you know the uh, what was it the uh, Star 69 or something to try and yes, call the call back. back. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. And all I got on that was a hissing and a busy signal. I was like, well, that figures with the way my life goes. And um, so that's what began writing that very first, their very first foundational book, Legions of Light, Armies of Darkness. That was all inspired by the artwork and taking the artwork and putting it into a literary form. Um, and... Then, um, you know, that was officially published through Author House in 2005. Ten years later, and that's the, the mysterious 10-year gap from 2005 to 2015, all of a sudden, um, the, um, um, uh, the, the floodgates opened and the opportunity to get back to the writing like I always wanted to happened. And um, basically that 10-year gap was just because life got in the way. And uh, I, because uh, I was married once before, um, and then um, got divorced. The gates opened. I ended up pulling and digging through the back of my closet. Um, I think it was January, uh, yeah, January of two, uh, 2014. Going through some old stuff, getting rid of stuff because the divorce was being finalized. Ended up finding something I had completely forgotten about. The beginnings of what was supposed to be the next manuscript that I had started years before and never got back to because life got in the way. So I pulled it out, I looked at it, it was fragmented, broken chapters, pieces, ideas, you know, excerpts. And I looked at it, I was like, you know what? This is a complete pile of crap. We are starting over and I just got rid of all of it Start over from scratch because I had 10 years worth of life 
to now inject into um, what would eventually become the more of the Mason and the Alien. And at that point, as I'm sitting in the back of my closet, buried in manuscript paperwork and looking at all the different pieces that would have been and realizing that this is not the way to go. Obviously, things happen for a reason. There was a reason why I was forced to wait 10 years. Um, all of a sudden, the crone is there again, as always, and she says, now you have to do this. Now is the opportunity to get back and get the damn book published and this time, do it the right way. And so I started in January of 2014, nonstop, like gangbusters, right on through to I was done by July of 2015, year and a half, straight on through. And, uh, you know, I have the imprint of my butt on the dining room seat to prove that because <laughs> I never moved from it. But um, it was officially published September uh, of 2015. And that sort of became a tradition at that point, September 1st, 2015, because then I started, uh, I gave myself a six-month hiatus because my brain had been so burned out from writing that book that I needed a break in between. But I already knew where the recent part two was going to go. So I started up again on that. And by um, September 1st of 2018, last year, more, The More of the Mason and Alien Part 2 was published. And now currently I am working on Part 3, which uh, Part 1 was a call to action. Part 2 is a real manifesto. And for the audience listening, Part 3 is going to be about the Invisible College. And all of your writings, you know, aside from your paintings, is all of this also downloads and information that you're getting? Um, I explain, yeah. I talk yeah. about it in the book how mm -hmm. what began as, quote-unquote, the conversation, which is many dialogues, a dialogue in the void over the years, uh, yes, the, it went into the writing as well. Okay. And, you know, like I said to you um you know, before we got on too, sometimes I feel like when I am sitting and doing a show with people and, you know, I get a chance to read their books that it just feels rushed. And I, I wanted to take my time getting into some of your work because I think that, you know, I want to give it some due diligence. Um, and, okay. you know, one of the things that and, some, and sometimes it just feels rushed. It's like there's it's, you can almost create like three shows out of one person's book. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you right. just can't you can't cover everything. But one of the things, um, well, two things that strikes me, and I, I'm wondering if you have any advice to our listeners because when I uh, began reading your first book, one of the things that made me just kind of stop in my tracks a little bit, you made me really think back to my childhood and think about you know my imaginary friends and certain <laughs> yes. dreams, you know, yes. that I've had. And I'm kind of like, all right, how, how do I access these downloads more readily so I can understand them now in the adult mind? And was what I was experiencing some of what you're talking about? And so I don't know if you have any advice um, for people who are kind of like listening to you and listening to your process and then doing what I did, which was go back a little bit to my childhood and say, whoa, wait a second, maybe that wasn't a dream. Maybe that that was an encounter. How do we begin to open up that access 
gifts for ourselves? Or is this something that will only open if and when you're ready? Um, I've had a lot of people ask that question about, you know, how can they access that? Uh, I've always seen it happen with people at different times in their lives. Um, For me, it was 21. Um, For... Uh, the new the new generation out there, it could happen for them at the age of 13. And for others, it might not be until they're you know, 65, okay? So, and everything in between. So there's that. But there's also the valued aspect of um, it, just uh, tranquility of mind, meditation, okay? Um, finding your, your own private spot each day to open yourself up to what is going on around you on a daily basis and we just don't realize it the stuff that hides in plain sight the stuff that walks between the raindrops um you know which is just a poetic way of describing that which can walk between dimensions and walks in and out of ours you know like it's grand central station so um it's uh if people even though for some of us it happens as a definite, you know, uh, you know, brick over the head kind of moment, and then boom, you're awake. Um, it's sort of like in, the, if you remember the movie Ghost, to Whoopi Goldberg's character, right? Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, it just hit her like a ton of bricks, and all of a sudden, her gift from her mother was there, bam, and then she couldn't get rid of it. Um, it's like that for contactees, experiences, and abductees as well, um, but not for everyone. For others. Um, they can go after it if they put it out to the universe, hey, I'm ready, and you go after it with meditation, then you start calming your mind and you start remembering things that you will come as a shock because you completely forgot about them. It's like, oh my God, yeah, that did happen in my childhood. Why did I forget that? Well, a lot of it has to do with, and this this will help people as well in terms of remembering, going after it, exploring, and awakening, is that um, I there's a and I talk about this in the book too. What is the fundamental foundation between those of us who have a healthy transition to it and those of us who are put into an emotional coma trying to you know deal with it the difference is family your family foundations your family support mechanism i came from um parents who were extremely open to everything from the twilight zone to star trek to star wars okay and everything in between all right um i had a mother who would sit there with me and who was very open to you know, ancient astronauts and how it be, how it was the foundation of all religious belief. So she would sit there with the Bible with me in secret and po- go through it and point out references to aliens and UFOs in that kind of literature. She would swear me to secrecy and say, you know, because at the time as a kid, you know, my brother and I were in Catholic school. So she would say, if you ever repeat this to anyone, I'll disown you. Okay, so this is between us. And she would even talk with my grandmother about it. Okay, Um, I remember as a kid, an inspirational book from my mother was Red Giants and White Dwarfs. And 
it was a phenomenal um, study of the living universe. And that became a, a huge inspiration. I, I remember the day uh, over at my grandparents, she was actually talking to my grandmother about that book. And it just seemed like kind of a lightning rod for her to uh, be more open to this. Now, of course, when it, that reciprocates, because if your parents are open to it and they raise you in that environment of being open to science fiction is not just science fiction, okay, and that you know, the Starship Enterprise really is out there or the Millennium Falcon really is out there somewhere, um, then um, you end up giving closure to your parents because uh, many years ago when my mother was still alive, I would come back to her and talk to her about the things that I learned. And it would give her such a magnificent sense of completion in her life that she wasn't nuts because when she was a child – she was made to feel like, you know, she was hatched on the front doorstep like she didn't belong. Whereas when her her son comes along and comes back to her with these extraterrestrial experiences and starts telling her, Mom, you're not nuts. This is real. And the only reason I could do that was because she was brave enough to let me go in that direction, endorse it, embrace it, support it, and be open to it. And so was my dad. Uh, you know... And my dad was open enough to realize how to take his childhood upbringing, which was all about Westerns, and translate that to space. I mean, what's Star Trek? Wagon Train to the Stars. What's Deep Space Nine? It's basically Bonanza in space, okay? He knew how to see the translation. And so and my brother is 100% on board with this, all right? Um our family bloodline has always been involved with this. That was one of the things I realized in the awakening. And what was passed on to us is now being passed on to my nieces because my brother has four girls. So, and I see it in how gifted they are in that generation. They are so much more evolved than anything from my brother and I. So um, it's uh, when you are open to it in your family that makes all the difference in the world. When you're not, you know, my, my wife, Linda, she came from the other perspective. Yes, she had her mom as a support mechanism, but that was it. And so uh, she grew up in an environment where she was made to feel like talking about such things, like my mother, was verboten, ridiculous. You're an idiot. You know, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Shut up. So it took forever for her to come out of that shell that had been put around her and feel like it was okay to talk about it to anyone, including me, okay? I mean, her own husband. So um, that's something that is important for people to realize. And over the years, since the 90s, I have seen that dividing line as the constant. The ones who are not well-adjusted to social interaction are the ones who were shunned by their own families. But those of us who you'd never be able to pick out of a crowd, like me, you know, why am I so anonymous? Why is it easy for me to just blend into a crowd? Because I have those social skills, and that's because it's something that is easy for me to talk about. Um, and that's all because of my parents. So that's something that your audience should pay attention to.
Yeah, yeah. And, and I would say, too, you know, when people come to their own awakening, um, you know, if you're not really, uh, you know, totally delving into all of this information, it could feel very isolating. Like who, who's out there that is experiencing this? And, you know, it really wasn't until about a year and a half ago, uh, myself where I never really was too involved in the UFO research or the extraterrestrials or things like that. But there's Mm -hmm. been more of a calling in this year and a half to begin to interview people like yourself. And, and I, and I am being exposed to a a very, very large world of a Mm -hmm. phenomenon that doesn't seem so out of this world anymore. You know, it's like, right, right. okay, there's thousands of people talking about it. Like, you know, so, and, and I think that that does bring up, you bring up a really good point, which is to be able to have that, that some form of community or social network that can help you and support you and not judge you and, um, you know, and help you through the process of, of that awakening. Um, now, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you that will hopefully lead us into the next interview that we bring you on. What I'm curious to know, and it's probably can't be summed up in in so many words, but, you know, as I'm looking at your gallery of artwork, you know, and I see the 16 pictures, you know, I do feel that you are kind of, you know, the vessel in which information is being sent through, right? So a lot of your, the artwork that we're looking at, I also interpret it as the extraterrestrials trying to explain something to the masses, but they're working through you to deliver that message. Same, you know, with, with the books that you're writing. Do you have uh, an umbrella of what you feel they are trying to communicate through you out to everyone else? Um, yeah. And ultimately, um, it um, goes back to, I think, what you had mentioned early on in the introductions there was that uh, the, the main theme is you, you have to learn to crawl before you walk. You have to walk, learn to walk before you fly. And in translation to this subject matter, what that means is you have to know what you lost from the past repetitively over and over again before you know where you're going in the near, uh, immediate, and distant future. Otherwise, you know, as the old phrase goes, history repeats itself for those who do not learn from it. And the human race as a whole has been um, in a vicious cycle of repeating history over and over again because we don't learn from it. And the reason we don't learn from it is because we don't realize what we've lost in the first place, which is not... Um, and not a legacy of um, crawling out of the ice age like a bunch of club swinging thugs, okay? It is a grand um, galactic legacy that includes Mother Earth and um, living with Mother Earth, not against her. One of the other resounding themes is that we have put ourselves in the position of being labeled by our own planet as germ warfare. And when the human race becomes labeled as germ warfare, the, the human race is setting itself up for failure and imminent disaster because the planet is not going to tolerate that. So one of the uh, important things to realize is that the benevolent factions are here because they have an investment in flesh and bone 
our interaction, our ecological balance, our spiritual development. Yes, the malevolent factions have more of an interest in the financial aspects of it and controlling the planet as a chunk of real estate and just using us as slaves. But that's the glass half full, the, uh, the glass half empty. The glass that's half full, which we conveniently ignore, is why are the benevolent factions here? So it's always going to come down to flesh and bone versus wood and stone. Okay, the human factor versus you know the uh, the uh, the shallow materialistic factor that sees us as you know nothing more than fodder, and that's our own fault because we never reclaimed our own starborn legacy on this planet. We never reclaimed the fact that we belong and have an allegiance to this planet. We ended up severing our ties as caretakers of the earth. And this is where we've gone into a downward spiral of, you know, something that is nothing short of genocidal activity. Hmm. An allegiance to our planet. You know, that, that rings pretty true. It's, that gives me something to think about too. It's, uh, and kind of when I hear that, it's like, we're really not owning it. We're not taking, we're not taking care of the earth. We're not claiming it necessarily to be ours. Maybe, maybe because, you know, we feel an entitlement that things should just be given to us and that the world should just work and mother earth should just function without us having to do anything. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's kind of a, a part of it being here, but you know, whether I'm talking to somebody like yourself, um, that's talking about extraterrestrials, whether I'm talking about a researcher of consciousness or somebody that is in the healing field. I mean, the message more and more over the last few years keeps coming down to we need to start taking care of our planet. And I, you know, and I do see more calls to action of, you know, people, let's say the plastic straw movement, right? It might be something so tiny and small like that. But, you know, I do feel that there is more of a movement of us trying to take care of the planet at a very mm -hmm. slow rate. Um, but, you know, I, I think that no matter what, whatever is going on collectively as a consciousness, this message is coming through in all areas of people who are awakened, not just through, you know, ET contact or things like that. But like everyone that is really in touch and on their spiritual path, it seems to be coming back more and more of this very strong message of us really needing to take care of the earth. Well, yes, that, that's very truthful because uh, drawing upon something from the original co uh, college there, the uh, the updated version of The Day the Earth Stood Still is a famous line from Keanu Reeves where um, he turns to her and says, you know, the earth can live without the human race. The human race cannot live without the earth. Mm. Well, <laughs> that might be a great way or a great place for us to end um, for our conversation today. But I'm really looking forward to have you back on to talk about Legions of Light, Armies of Darkness, and The More the Mason and the Alien, part one and part two. And you said part part three. When's that going to come out? September 1st, uh, 2020? Uh, that, that might. Um, I think I'm going to give myself a chance. And um, I think uh, I would be shooting for September 2021 to release it. So... Uh, because the uh, it's it's going to be an interesting focus on stuff that's hiding in plain sight, educating the masses even on a grander scale in um, film, literature, art, okay, and using film uh, as a foundation to teach people how to see the symbolism. 
Right. And, you know, there must be something, too, about your energy. If you think about the more the Mason and the alien, you're doing like the part one and part two. And for some reason, intuitively, I would say you're probably the first person that I've ever asked where I wanted to break up the, the show a little bit more and do a part one and a part two. OK, so there must be something there must be something there with what whatever that is. Is. I don't know what that is, but I just made that connection now and I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting, you know, and who knows, who, who knows who is facilitating the work that you and I are doing together. But I kind of feel and hear it loud and clear, like there is more than just a part one here. So um, do you want to let our listeners know what we are going to be discussing in your two books to give them just a, a little taste if they want to actually run out and buy it before we produce the next show? Oh, sure. Definitely. Um, I mean, it, um, yeah, the uh, it's titles like Legions of Light, Armies of Darkness and The More, The Mason and The Alien. A call to action or a real manifesto. You know, uh, where do those titles come from? What do they really represent? What are they talking about? What is, you know, why is it broken down to the three basic components that affects all, the entire human race on this planet? You know, what is the more? What is the Mason? What is the alien? What does that represent to us? And how has it affected us uh, from ancient history right on through to today? Okay, how is it relevant to today? Uh, everything from uh, where does the word angel come from to what does the Sasquatch represent? Um, what is the difference between the two infamous phrases, extraterrestrial intervention and the alien abduction phenomena? These things are not the same. What's the difference? Right. Yeah, I'm, lo I'm looking forward to that. Great. All right, Richard. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and agreeing to take more time to come back on the Path 11 podcast. I think your work is really, really interesting. Um, and I'm so glad that we can also be, uh, you know, this platform to share it, to share it with our audience as well. And hopefully they'll share it with their friends and it'll just kind of keep spreading globally. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are 
just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. Thank you.